All right, uh, blah, 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 and uh, that's what's on deck. Blah, blah, blah. And the home of the where we talk deck hockey, street hockey, ball hockey, it's hockey, in sneakers. 24 episodes. Oh my, just shy of the quarter century mark. Well, quarter episode, no, full episode, quarter, quarter century, no, no, that's years. I don't know what I'm talking about. Help me, help me, well, <laughs> help me, James. Actually, my only hope. oh, then we're in big trouble. But <laughs> with it being 24, does that mean yeah. Jack Bauer could save us? Yes, that's true. Yes, know. okay. So Jack Bauer is going to come in and and uh, save our podcast. He's going to threaten us and hold a gun to our head until we do a good job. And well, it was nice knowing you. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to last very long. You're now. going to listen to this podcast in real time. That's <laughs> that's the the hook for this show. <laughs> I, I was going to do the, the ding ding from Law and Order because I actually never watched 24. I don't know what their like big sound effect thing is. It, it was a tick of a clock, like dink, dink. Yeah. So okay. there you go. Oh, right. Okay. Got it. Like a digital. Antenna. Yes. Right, yes. It. Yes. Countdown yes. timer. Got I gotcha. And apologies for sounding like we're in a warehouse. We're uh, recording from my neck of the woods tonight. Yes, so, we are in yeah. Shea Sajazi or, or Casa Sajazi or or the Sajazi Chalet or uh, I don't know. So the superior quality of the Rhino Max equipment is lacking tonight. So apologies for that. So it's just a different setup. Yeah. James has a bit of a, a larger room that we're recording in, so we're not using the same normal setup. So that's what you get. That's what you get. And as we always uh, tell my daughter. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. So that's a <laughs> I, that maybe the new tag for the show. I like it. Yeah, I, right. And the irony being that this is such a small apartment, but it's just one seven hundred square foot room. So yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah, all right. That's a you know, hockey is a big open space, so it's uh, it works. It's got the right vibe. James, what are we even doing? Why don't I start with the starting lineup? Get us back on track. Okay. Good? Yes? Okay. James is giving me the thumbs up, so I'm going to go ahead. He's gone mute on me. It's going to be a long show. All right. So, for tonight's starting lineup, in goal, as ever, I am the American Rhino, number 35, Gary McComiskey, and my hapless, no, that's helpless, no, certainly not, my helpful co-host, no, that sounds patronizing, the guy that I'm talking to... Fair enough. Uh, on defense, number four, I'm James Jay-Z. How did we make it to 24 episodes, James? Sheer guts and determination. <laughs> yeah, just uh, 
determination is a good way to put it. Just stubborn stick to I think. Obliviousness, perhaps. James, uh, would you be so kind as to tell us what's on deck? I'd be happy to. And Thank 24 you. consecutive weeks, too, by the way. That's that's pretty impressive. So, yeah. anyway. It's uh, not nothing. That's right. You can't spell deck hockey without the D. Over a couple of recent Hit the Decks, special guest Brad joined us as he, Gary, and I shared our knowledge of deck hockey strategy. Now that you're up to speed in the deck hockey world, Gary and I will elaborate on our zone of expertise in goal and on the blue line for those out there interested in playing deck hockey. And Theo Fleury, hockey player, author, singer, songwriter, and healer. Sports Illustrated's annual Where Are They Now edition featured Mr. Fleury and the amazing journey of his life. And that's what's on deck. Thank you, James. My pleasure, sir. So, uh, deck hockey, what do you want to talk about? Well, uh, as we did a few episodes ago, and, and with the great help of the all-star Brad Vonsky, yes, we and, and your brilliant strategies of filming and broadcasting different plays and us breaking them down and what a an offensive player was thinking, what a goalie was thinking, and what a defenseman was thinking, how the plays evolved and each player's role in those plays. So, I will concede that I was there. Right. And... and Whatever, but anyhow, just wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that. If it's not too boring for people out there who don't play deck hockey or people who are interested in starting to play deck hockey, hopefully Gary and I and Brad have kind of opened your eyes to the world of deck hockey and the fun of it and the benefits of it and why you should be playing if you're thinking about it. So with Gary being a goalie and myself being a defenseman, we can go into a little bit more of what to do in other situations as opposed to when we were just breaking down the other plays that Brad being the offensive man, what he was thinking to do, what he was trying to do, and how Gary and I were trying to stop the puck from going into the goal. Yeah, I think uh, this is a little backwards. I think last time or the last couple of times we did this, we were breaking down specific plays. This is going to be more of a generalization for tips on how we play the game. So, you know, hopefully you will find this beneficial. And uh, maybe you can either add to your repertoire if you're a defensive player or if you're an offensive player, you know what to look for so you can get a little bit of an advantage. So on either side of the ball, hopefully we'll teach you something. Hopefully. And yes, we do intend to do the offensive side too. So hopefully we could get Brad back or maybe another member or two of the LIQ. Sure, it's always good to get a different opinion. Absolutely. A different perspective on things. Exactly. So, Mr. Rhino Goalie Mac, Sir? Uh, we have touched on this in episodes past, but in your bag of tricks, what are your methods of playing goal, for example? Like uh, your go-to um, instincts when someone's breaking in on a play or any time that a shot's being taken on you? All right. Well, I touched on this a little bit. Um, well, more than a little bit, but... Way back in episode five, I think. In my day, by cracky, we had to walk uphill both ways in the snow and barefoot. And we liked it because, yeah. So a long time ago, if you're a long time listener, then you will remember Mike Margiata's conversation with James and I. Uh, and and more, more specifically with myself regarding goalie strategy. But, uh, yeah, so the most important thing as a goalie is to stay square with the ball. 
you want to keep your eye on the ball whenever possible, but in terms of putting yourself in your best position to stop a puck, you want to keep your chest square with the ball. And that very often means moving around your crease side to side or maybe in kind of a semicircular motion around the edge of the crease. At least that's how they do it in the video games. Like, uh, I, I know, I remember, man, I haven't played a lot of goalie in video games in years, but I remember, like, the NHL games, if you were the goalie and you were trying to defend against, uh, like, you didn't have the puck, you were just trying to keep position, if you put push the stick left and right, they would kind of, like, move in a semicircular fashion around the edge of the crease they didn't go side to side they like slid around in a semicircle, which was kind of entertaining uh but that's a tangent and i apologize yeah so the most important thing about playing goal keep yourself square to the puck because if you can keep yourself square to the puck then you're always going to have the best chance of stopping it the only caveat i will make to that is that if you've got play in close to you and you see a play developing you know with a reasonable amount of certainty that the only play that somebody has is to pass it to somebody else that's on the other side of the crease or, or on the other side of the ice or what have you. You see that play unfolding. You might want to cheat a little bit and start half a step before they make the pass to try and get over quicker, but you're going to have to play that one by ear. That's As a goalie, you know that, that's, that's down to your personal style. You're going to have to make those decisions yourself. But, um, yeah, so stay square to the puck. For me, you asked about breaking in. I tend to play deep in my net generally. I tr I've been trying to make a conscious effort to play a little higher, a little further out of the net to cut down on the angles. But when somebody comes in on me, I'm going to retreat to the safety of the net generally not all the way because you don't want to give the opposing player the offensive player who's coming in on you you don't want to let them necessarily dictate the way the play unfolds personally i try and outweigh people i'll back up somewhat but i'm not going to back up all the way i'm going to back up a few steps and i'm going to kind of stand my ground and make them make a move and hopefully they're not going to be able to get around me if somebody gets too close to me, I love to poke check. My The poke check is my favorite play, quite honestly. I have a much better stick hand than I do a glove hand. So my default is if the puck is in front of me, and I've actually had a problem with this. This is something that I've had to try and consciously balance out. But if the puck is loose in front of me, my instinct is always to knock it away with my stick before I cover it. Because I can knock it away with my stick a lot quicker than I can drop down with my glove and in that half a second that it takes me to drop down if somebody's close enough they can come in and grab the puck and and try and tuck it in whereas my stick it's right there I can just swipe it away unfortunately I do have the tendency to put it directly on an offensive player's stick when it comes to me I don't know maybe I just well, I do know. Part of it is I like to keep the pace of the play going, and I don't like to cover up because I feel like that's kind of a um, a chicken's way out. You know, the you, you drop down and cover the puck constantly. I feel like that's 
nobody that's not fun you know if you constantly have to stop play and reset and, and let the other team just just keep the keep the play going that's what I say and it's burned me more than once but that's just the way I think obviously there's a time and a place to cover the puck and that like I said something I'm trying to balance but uh, it's you know I like to move the puck I don't always make the best decisions with my stick but I prefer to move the puck because I like to play hockey I don't like to sit and stop playing hockey yeah I wish more people felt the same way that you do about that because as a teammate we're usually teammates yeah uh, oddly enough if you could believe that people (laughs) but we appreciate that as well especially as a defenseman you get the play you get the puck you put it down and then we away we go and hopefully Mm -hmm. get an offensive chance from that so that's definitely exactly hockey is a a sport that should be played in motion and remain that way as opposed to constantly icing the or, or uh, you know freezing stop the freezing puck. the puck. Yeah, Thank you. Sure. Uh, so just one last thing, too, uh, communicating with your defensemen because um, a lot of times our backs are to you mm-hmm. and directing traffic when needed. So there's sometimes when I'm guilty of this, too, yeah. that uh, maybe I don't see an open man for our team that sure. get a pass going or someone's coming in behind me mm-hmm. and, and I can't hear them. Yeah. How important is communication with your defensemen specifically and, and, and your other players as well? And do you feel that a need to always help out your teammate with, with a helpful, hey, watch your back, or kind of lay back and trust well, I think you'd be able to speak better than I about the importance of communication because I'm just standing there and if I am shouting something out, it's ultimately your decision or whatever my teammates' decision whether they want to listen to me or not. But yeah, I mean, I do try, it is important to me to try and communicate with my teammates. Uh, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. I feel like since I can see most of the court or rink, or what have you, wherever we have me playing, I feel like it's kind of, it's my duty, as melodramatic as that sounds, it's incumbent on me as somebody who can see the field of play to tell somebody what's happening or maybe try and give them a fuller idea of the picture that they can't see because they're focused on a certain area. And when we had Brad on, he talked about being able to hear footsteps and kind of glance around with peripheral vision and try and get an idea of what's going on that way but I am facing people and facing the puck generally I am fortunate to have that benefit but by the same token again we've talked about this on the podcast before but if you're new I also sometimes I I still try and communicate with my teammates and communicate the situation but if it's an offensive situation I'm generally reluctant to call out plays or or tell somebody where to go or where to move the puck because I don't think offensively I'm not offensively minded I'm a goalie I'm you know my instinct is not okay this is where you need to go on the ice or on the court to make your best play I just see where there's open space so if somebody's setting something up, I don't want to screw them up. I don't want them second-guessing what they're going to do. So 
yeah, I try to communicate with my teammates, but I always, or often anyway, wonder if I'm doing the right thing. But by the same token, I rely on communication. It's really important for me as a goalie if somebody's behind the net or if the, the puck is behind the net and I don't have an opportunity to turn my head or if I make a save and I can't track the puck because it shoots off in a direction I can't see. It's really helpful to me. It's, it's actually vital that a teammate tell me, the puck is, you know, it's behind you, or it, you know, it's it's all, it's on the left, or wherever it happens to be. It's that could be the difference between scoring a goal and not. If I don't have to look for it and I just know where I have to go, then that makes all the difference in the world. So for me as a goalie, communication is huge in that situation. Right. I mean, you're, you tell me. You're, you're the defenseman. You're the guy that I'm very often shouting at. What do you think? It, in terms of communicating. I appreciate it immensely, especially, like we said, my back is usually towards you, yeah. so, and, and right, like, you, you have a better, you could see the rink better, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, the rest of us who are running back and forth, and you kind of lose your, your sense of where you are or who's yeah, around you. I'm, I'm lazy, I just stand No, there. not at all. You're, you're, you're the... Put up my feet, get a magazine... Yeah, right. So, Watch Netflix on my phone. Sure, you know, sure. It's right. just, uh, hey, uh, you, you guys, you want to score? Maybe uh, you should, you should try shooting the puck. That might, you know what? You got it. Whatever. So yeah, personally, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, it's like having, it, kind of like I'd, I'd like, I'd liken it to a third base coach for a baseball team when you're running the bases, and the third base coach could see where the ball is, where the outfielder is. Mm-hmm. I liken that to a good goalie, which I consider you a great goalie. Well, thank you. And part of your greatness is the fact that you do share your knowledge and help out your players. Mm-hmm. You're not just observing, you're active about it. And it again, like you were saying, it, it helps that split second. If you know someone's coming down hard on you and you're behind your goalie's net, do you have a chance to get the puck and get a play going, or do you have a chance to just take the puck and just backhand it and try and keep it on the boards mm-hmm. and not turn it over? So if I'm a third base coach, does that mean I have to start relaying signs? Because <laughs> I don't think I can, like, with the stick in my hand, yeah. I don't think I can brush off my sleeves and my belt. And if I try to, to kind of tip my mask, right. I can take somebody's eye out. So I... Yeah, I respect your opinion, but I don't know if that's such a great idea, personally. No, but the fact that you have eyes set on what's going on mm-hmm. behind, for example, for in my case, being a defenseman, and, and if my back is towards the play or towards the rest of the players on the opposing team, then I'm going to need you to direct traffic and let me know how, if I have time yeah. to get the puck and or or just dump it or whatever the case is so well, if i start windmilling my stick hand then I can really clear the crease yes you could <laughs> that would that would be helpful but that kind of leads into another yeah, not if i have somebody guarding the post next to me well but uh that's the other problem if you will or uh obstacle in deck hockey is there is no checking or hitting so defensemen and goalies are a little limited in how they can play their games. We have touched this 
upon this on the uh, Brad breakdowns and things of the plays, mm-hmm. but that takes away a majority of if you're watching the NHL or roller hockey or yeah. whatever the case is, that is a vital piece to a defenseman's toolbox mm-hmm. is the fact that he could knock another guy off the puck or just hit him or check or whatever the sure. case is. No doubt. So that's the other benefit of having communication between your goalie and your, and your defenseman. And also, as a defenseman, I do appreciate when when Gary, if we're uh, in the offensive zone, the, the opposing offensive zone, if I'm playing the blue line or the point, if you will, mm-hmm. that uh, Gary could help me out to say, you know, take the shot or make a pass. Because exactly, my instinct is defense, it's not offense. So right. I, I usually need a helping hand to say, sure. shoot it or pass it or where's the open guy. Or maybe even if the goalie's a little out of position on the other team, that's very helpful. So I just I feel like a Ranger fan off of the blue side. Exactly. Shoot. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah, I... It's funny, you mentioned um, the goalie being out of position. I do, when the goalie's down for an extended period of time, I do try and call that out because obviously it's advantageous to my team if the goalie's out of position because their defense is going to have to work extra hard to keep the puck out of the net. If you can get a shot off, you have a much better chance of scoring. But there's always... uh, there's always a part of me whenever I do that that feels like I'm betraying the brotherhood a little bit. Like, yeah, but it's a fellow goalie, and you know, it's, he's down, and I I feel like it's not fair. You know, there's a, there's a, like there's honor among thieves, I guess, and and yeah, obviously it's part of the game. But I feel like if I'm calling out somebody else out of position, it's a little bit of a I don't know. It, it's uh, it, it it always makes me feel like a little bit of a jerk doing that. Well, I understand where you're coming from, but no, you're definitely not a jerk. You're helping out your team, so no, but I, I know. but it, it is appreciated, course. sure that the that that small fraternity and or yeah. sorority of goaltending, you yeah. guys stick together and mm-hmm. we love you for it. Greek but life it's, it's uh, right. is that a thing? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, again, we have to do other things to in. in in defending besides hitting because we can't. But as you touched on before, like defending wraparounds and plays in the corners, we try, at least defensemen, try lifting the stick and or use the stick to block. Oh, sure. Although there are some leagues that don't actually allow you to lift the stick. Ah, really? Yeah, I know. Uh, I think it's um, one of the tournaments we played in. I don't think it's MoFo. I think it's the other one that was... Um, shoot. I apologize to anybody who happens to play in that league that I can't remember the name of. It's uh, Lower Manhattan. They play frequently. Um, they're involved in the Rose Charities. I apologize for not remembering your name. But yeah, part of their rules is you're not allowed to lift the stick. Gotcha. Another thing is controlling rebounds. So, in generally, in deck hockey, there are no boards, so it's a little bit trickier to control a rebound. So, you're kind of limited to just lifting the puck instead of clearing on the boards. As we were saying before, the court that we play on, it's a handball court. So, mm-hmm. one side is a solid cement wall, and the other side is a chain-linked fence. Mm-hmm. And... Being a defenseman, that chain-linked fence has betrayed me so many freaking times. Yeah, a two-chain-link fence. 
Yeah. So for that reason, for example, if let's say the opposing team is deep in Gary and, and my team's zone, where we're behind Gary's goal, mm-hmm. and you got that corner over there, and there's the puck, and someone's bearing down on you. Yeah. You have no time to do anything, so your last resort is to try and use the boards and clear the puck that way. Unfortunately, a lot of times when I've tried that, it hit a post of the chain link fence and either stayed in the zone or went right to an opposing player, and I totally left Gary out to dry. So very frustrating. Although, you know, even in the NHL, sometimes it's rare, but the puck will hit a seam and it'll go careening off in a direction you don't anticipate. I remember one year when the Rangers were playing the Devils in the playoffs and somebody shot a puck around the boards and Marty Rodor went to play it behind the net and it wound up caroming off the a seam in the boards and just like trickling out in front and somebody was able to just get it right into the net. And uh, he looked like he had egg on his face because he completely misplayed it, but he had no idea that it was going to shoot off that direction because it never does. Right. As you, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's just one of those things that happens in hockey. And obviously, whatever court you play on or rink you play on is going to vary because deck hockey, street hockey, ball hockey, you know, you can go from the the most uh, top of the line. Hmm. indoor facility that doubles as a roller hockey court to, you know, again, we play on a handball court. You can play out in the middle of the street. We play tournaments out in the middle of the street. Right. It's just, that's the nature of the game. That's why it's such a great game, because you can play casually and you can play a lot more readily than you would be able to play roller or ice hockey. It's, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse of the sport. And it's just one of those things that you kind of, you have to love it. Because if not, it'll make you scream. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, you alluded to the street part of it. The Rocky Sullivan's tournament that we, we sure. participate in, exactly. It's on a side street. And mm-hmm. exactly one of the first things that Gary and I, because we had played in it before most of the rest of our teammates joined in, was trying to keep that in mind, especially if you're a defenseman, that you don't have that option of clearing the puck because... You can't, there are no boards. So Gary and I were trying to scout the street and letting our other teammates know that if you're playing defense, you kind of can't clear the puck like that because you're on a side street. So the sidewalk is really so small. So you're not, you don't have a lot of room to try and keep the puck down or the ball down and, and bank it off of the, the sidewalk and clear it that way. It's not really pool. And if you do miss the bump of the sidewalk, then you turn the puck over automatically and the other team takes it. So a little limited defensive hands are tied on that, that part of the, uh, of the equation. Yeah, uh, and it's not just the Rocky Sullivan's tournament. Like when we played in the Rose Charities tournament, one that's actually a perfect example because there were two games going on at any given time. One game was on a rink, like a legit hockey rink, and the other game was on a wide open series of basketball courts. It was just a big open space with chain link fence surrounding it. And, you know, both games were equally valid. It's just that's the nature of the. the and speaking of the Rose Charities tournament, uh, the team that I was referring to before, or the league that I was referring to before, 
is the Blacktop Street Hockey League, which uh, I believe is a more civilized alternative to deck hockey in Lower Manhattan. So uh, I apologize to the BTSH, and um, you know, carry on, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Rock, rock on. Great save. That didn't take much time. So well done. Um, the other thing, too, as you alluded to before, is that some goalies freeze the puck a little bit too much, if not all the time. And how do you prevent that instinct from doing that? As you did say, you tend to – your instinct actually is the opposite, that you want to keep the play going and control the puck. It's honestly – like you said, it's my problem is the opposite. So for me, it's very easy to prevent that instinct. Um, I guess – I mean, I can only speak from my experience with going against my instincts in other areas. It's something you kind of have to make a concerted effort. You have to decide beforehand, okay, when such and such happens, I'm going to do this. And obviously, in the moment, you have to read the situation because it's not necessarily appropriate to do one thing, you know, even if that's something you want to try to do more of. But if you have an extra second to think and assess the situation, then when the time comes, you're going to be able to say, oh, right, I was going to do this. Let me do that instead of just doing blindly what you always do. So, you know, it's like anything else. You have to just work at it. And sometimes you'll make the right decision and sometimes you'll make the wrong decision. But such is life. Yes. Right. And the other thing, too, is that there's not much room for taking the puck out of the zone and starting a play on the other end. Sure. So that's something else to be conscious of. Exactly. If you're playing on a side street or, in our case, on a court, we're not always playing on a, on a, on a, in a rink. So we're not trying to scare anybody out there or discourage you from playing at all. It's kind of we're just showing you what you have to keep in mind as – a deck hockey player playing defense and goalie mm -hmm. as opposed to watching an NHL game or something. And, and, oh, that's the way you're supposed to do it. It's a little bit different. Sure. And as Gary said, yeah, it's much more accessible to play deck hockey and you can play uh, immediately. You don't need to learn how to skate or anything like that. So you can just jump right in and go ahead and have some fun. And you know what? It's one thing, yes, there are certain guidelines and certain things that have been proven to work for playing um, you know, shortcuts or, or fundamentals or whatever you want to call them. But you have to play the way that works for you. And, you know, trying something new isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the reason that U2 has such a unique sound is because they literally did not know how to play their instruments when they started playing. So they just kind of tried to play them as untrained musicians. And, you know, now they're one of the biggest rock bands in the world. So, you know, just because there's a certain way that everybody tends to do something doesn't mean it's the only way. And if you can find a way that works for you and is unique and, you know, that that could be just as valid. So I'm, I'm going to get down off my soapbox now. Okay, no more preaching. Can I get an amen? Amen! But, right. but I, I love you too. Anyhow, and you and you as well. Yeah, um, thank you. When a defenseman pinches, when a defenseman pinches, he gets slapped because he's being fresh. There you go. All right. Meaning he plays up. Oh my! Or goes in the offensive zone. 
That's time for the offensive players to back up the backup. So in the LIQ, one of the best guys in doing that is Brett. Mm-hmm. He has a great instinct for playing like like you being a, a goalie, he's always paying attention yeah. and knows where he needs to be at any given time. Absolutely. Let me, can I tell you about Brett? So as a goalie, Brett is a godsend. I would like five players on, on the team, you know, they're just like him. Because when I am, when I make a save and I'm pulled out of position and the puck winds up on the other side of the crease... If, you know, I'm not back in position yet because I'm down on the other side, Brett is always the first one to stand on the post and back me up until I can get back in position. God bless you, Brett. God love you. And let that be a lesson to all of you offensive players. You want to win the game, you've got to do your part on D. Amen to that, too. And uh, one of the tournaments that we played in, Brett and Chris were our teammates. Mm-hmm. And each of them did that perfectly. I couldn't even tell you how many times mm-hmm. they saved my bacon. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 so bacon. it's great to know because as we've said many a time that the goalie is is literally the last line of defense. Mm-hmm. And for the defensemen out there, when a shot is taken, that's our fault. So that's that's a breakdown in, in defense. At least that's what the mentality should be. Yeah. So when things like that happen if the the puck is on the other side or whatever the case is it's crucial to have offensive players with the sense enough like Brett and and Chris have to keep up with the play and think as defensemen when needed so they would make excellent centers in that aspect but Mm -hmm. end-to-end hockey it's extremely important and teammates like that are worth their weight in gold so Definitely, yeah, definitely something to take note of if you take up the game. Thanks, Brady. We love you. And another thing, too, is I would recommend is that uh, forwards and defensemen and the goalie should go over a game plan. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's informal, it's fun, it's laid back and all that stuff, but you should all try and be on the same page for just that reason, for example. Sometimes you play with... Like in a tournament or something like that, well, you're playing with different people you're not used to playing with. Or in our cases, a lot of times we'll do like a pickup game style where new people come in and you're not usually playing with the teammates that you are used to. So if you're together as a team forever or if you're just meeting people for the first time, it's always good to go over a game plan just to let everyone know what he or she should be doing. And exactly, like for for my Speaking for myself, I'm a defensive defenseman. I, that means I like I, I'm more comfortable, and my strengths are staying back and just playing defense as opposed to being an offensive defenseman. And for Gary too, uh, you're a hybrid butterfly style goalie. Yes. So that's something to keep in mind as well for a new defenseman playing with you for the first time, or as we're saying, like what Brett and Chris do so well, mm-hmm. is that they're offensive players that can back up the defense when need be too so yeah i mean just speaking as a goalie like for instance i as we already spoke about in the podcast my tendency is to try and knock it the the puck to try and poke the puck away with my stick and so 
a defenseman should know that, that if the puck is free in the crease, that I'm probably going to knock it off to my right side, say, so it's going to wind up on the far wall instead of expecting me to just freeze it because that's the difference between clearing the puck out of the zone and having an offensive player recover. You know, so if, if the players know that's your tendency, they can look out for it. Or by the same token, James is very much a stay-at-home defenseman, so if there's an odd man rush, you don't want somebody running down the, the rink and expecting to be able to dish off to somebody on the wing and say, oh, wait, where'd he go? You know, it's you, you want to know. Obviously, you don't have to take out a playbook and detail what everybody's going to do in any given situation. But if there's a certain way you tend to play, it's a great idea to communicate that to your teammates and vice versa so everybody's on the same page. Exactly. I think you described it perfectly. Just keep it simple and yeah. basic and just let everyone know what you mm-hmm. tend to do, and, and that, that's all it takes. Just a couple of minutes, bing, bang, boom, and you're going to have a lot more fun mm-hmm. from it too, especially when you win. <laughs> yeah, well, winning is generally much more fun than losing. Yeah. And finally, well, almost just kind of wrapping up the segment, uh, how to help the offense with passing and keeping the puck in your offensive zone so it's time to return the favor and help out the offense who – so graciously helped out the defense. Sure. As a goalie and me being a defenseman again, as you've probably figured out by now, is that, as Gary was saying, instead of just freezing the puck, to pass it on to whoever's back, if it's usually a defenseman, and then it's your job to get your offensive team side going. So make a good crisp pass or control the puck a little bit and maybe take it into the zone and see if somebody's open and then help out and create offensive plays. That's something that I struggle with mm-hmm. and I don't do well at all is uh, especially if we're down, I tend, my first instinct is to when we're in our own zone mm-hmm. is to just clear it. Well, you have a cannon of a shot, so it's never a bad idea for you to put the puck on net. If it's accurate, so maybe, but a lot of times I'll just shoot it and it's like, uh, I feel like Elmer Fudd with the, with the gun pointed towards me as opposed to towards Bugs Bunny. But. Like the guy in the Mighty Ducks with the knuckle puck who, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't always get it on net, but when he does, people go diving for cover because it's a really ridiculously hard shot. But right, that that that's that should be in the back of every defenseman's mind is okay. Maybe if like my case, I'm a defensive defenseman, mm-hmm. so at least develop a good pass and an accurate pass so that you could get it to the guys who are skilled at putting the puck in the net and let them do their thing. So that's uh, pretty important to to keep in mind as playing defense in any kind of hockey, but in deck hockey as well. Yeah, one thing I can do as a goalie, in addition to trying to communicate the situation on the ice to the other players, is say, like you said, if I freeze the puck, which, again, I don't do a lot, but if I do freeze the puck, you know, most deck hockey leagues or games or what have you play with running time. You don't stop the clock when you freeze the puck. The goalie just tosses the puck to somebody behind the goal line is usually the rule. So, 
Or I guess you can drop it in front of you and pass it with your stick. But generally, you're going to want to just give it to somebody behind the net. So you're going to want to know your tendencies for your teammates. Like who, where they prefer the puck. Do you, do they want you to drop it directly behind the net so they have the option of going either side? Do they want it in the left or the right corner? You have to be considerate of who's back to receive that puck and what they're going to be able to do with the puck when they have it, how they're going to make their best play. So you obviously be conscious of whoever's defending, but you should know what the tendencies of the offensive players who tend to to take those passes are so that you can get a play going as quickly as possible and maybe catch the other team in an odd man rush. Right. And another thing for defensemen to keep in mind, too, is to play back. And meaning if you're actually on a rink with a blue line or blue lines, I should say, uh, because generally deck hockey, there's very loose offsides if there is offsides at all. I think um, like strict deck rules, the center line is considered the offsides. So if you are playing under those rules, then yes. You're going to pay attention to the offsides, but I think most leagues probably have one, maybe two refs. But you know, they're they're referee slash linesman slash timekeeper probably. So the the uh, probability of them being able to correctly judge every offside <laughs> is is not likely. So yeah, I would say it's going to be more of a gentleman's offsides in a lot of cases where you try and stay onside but it may not be super strictly enforced the only thing we ask in deck hockey is to make sure that all players go back and forth you can't just have one guy camped out in front of your goalie at all times so that that's just don't do that as gary always says don't be that guy but if you are playing with blue lines or 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 a red line whatever the case is as a defenseman, and this goes for any kind of defense, ice hockey, roller hockey, deck hockey, is you play back a little bit. And the reason why certain or most defensemen have hard shots is for that reason is a lot of times when the offensive guys, the forwards, don't have a shot or a play, they'll pass it back to the, to the, to the defenseman, and he's supposed to either take a – if there is a slap shot allowed in deck hockey, he'll take a slap shot – or take a hard wrist shot from outside the uh, the circles, if you will, and meaning playing back. Or the other thing, too, is he could either try and get a hard shot and hopefully an offensive guy could get a stick in the way of a goalie and maybe do uh, a one-timer or a deflection shot or something like that. So as a defenseman, you're kind of ply, trying to stay back a little bit to help out your offense as best as possible and, above all, keep the ball or the puck in your zone to make sure that you can at least get another few shots off or a couple of plays going and at minimum give your your goalie a breather for uh, when he needs to stand on his head and usually that that happens more times than not so yeah in my experience sometimes you get a game that's really even but a lot of times you do just depending on the makeup of the teams and how they match up you do wind up in a situation where play is predominantly in one end. And if you're the goalie whose end it's in, it can be a long day. (laughs) Uh, So, 
you know, do your best. And to James's point about hard shots, hard shots, the reason why they're so effective is because they create chaos. From a goalie's point of view, if you've got a really hard shot coming in on you, it can be harder to glove or to absorb. It can deflect off of you to somebody on your team who can try and score a rebound. From a defensive standpoint, I imagine it's a lot less fun to try and lay out in front of a hard shot and block it. So if you are somebody who's known to have a hard shot, you can give the defensive player on the other side pause if you rocket it in. And even if it doesn't get on goal or if it it does, uh, but it's not, you know... You're, you're still getting that puck in the zone, deep in the zone, and you have a good chance of giving your team an opportunity to recover. So, yeah, obviously it's not the perfect play for every situation, but it's something that you should consider, especially in a, a, a deck hockey situation where you're not playing in the NHL with set plays. and Well, some teams have set plays, I'm sure, but you're not playing off of a playbook and you know it's not something that you train for every day because it's your only job and what have you you know it's a good way to get something going exactly and finally on to sum up this segment from a few hit the decks ago we spoke about when a goalie and or defenseman loses his stick how do you defend and we did bring up the fact that we can't hit and stuff like that. So you're really very, I mean, personally for me as a defenseman without a, without my trusty stick, it's, you feel totally helpless, but again, you, you can kind of block the shot still and, or at least funnel a player onto one side of the ice or, or get your, your hand in the way or lay out like Gary was saying, or do something like that. But um, again, you can't hit. So you're just kind of stuck doing a little shimmy and getting in the way of the uh, offensive players or at least trying to control the puck in some way and maybe kick it out. You know what, James? I've seen you play without your stick, and I know it's not your preference, obviously, but you're still very effective without a stick, so don't sell yourself short. Um, Speaking personally, I've already talked about how much I rely on the poke check. I feel completely naked without my stick. Um, But sometimes you have to drop it. Sometimes, you know, it'll get caught in the net or you'll it'll get uh stuck under a player or something and you'll just you have to let go because if you try and free it then you're not following the play and if you're not following the play then you're basically begging the other team to score on you so you just have to do your best you know you stay in front of the puck you just by any means necessary you know you just um i don't know you just you do it how about when your defenseman steps on your stick and trips over you? What do, what do you do then? <laughs> well, again, you drop it and you just uh, you try and soldier on because... Not that I ever did that to you no, a couple no, of three that's, times. That's a, hey, yeah. the only reason that you step on my stick is because you're playing close in the crease. So I'll take that trade off. You're too kind. You're, too, you're way too kind. But uh, Moving on, and again, hopefully that was helpful to anybody out there thinking of taking up deck hockey, and we will in the future bring up the offensive side of it too. So definitely want to encourage you to play, and hopefully we can help you hit the ground running. 
and so you can enjoy it and, and continue enjoying it for the future and maybe even come out and play with us. Yeah, and hey, if you disagree with something that we advised you, the listener, to do, if you say, listen, that's all well and good on paper, but in real life, that it doesn't work that way, tweet at us at hitthedeckpod or email us at hitthedeck at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We'd love to open a dialogue. We want to know your opinion. And, uh, you know, if you have some good insight, we'll talk about it on the air. Sounds good to me. And finally, for tonight, we were talking about uh, Theo Fleury, Theron Fleury, uh, one of my favorite players growing up. And uh, just an amazing career that he's had on the ice and off and the demons he's battled and how far he's come and, and he's such a hero now. And, and as we were alluding to before, that not only was he a great hockey player and an author, uh, but he's now a singer-songwriter into country music of all things. Which is crazy. Right. And uh, a healer in a way too because one of the reasons why Fleury, the way he played – and why he relied on alcohol too much was that he was battling demons inside because his um, his coach, when he was a child, his hockey coach uh, sexually abused him. And it's a problem that seems to be a bit rampant in Canada, of all things. There was a study back in 2013. Yeah, I can't believe this. Uh, yeah, it's very, really very hard to digest. Again, this is an article in Sports Illustrated's uh, summer edition where they always do uh, Where Are They Now? And they caught up with uh, Theo Fleury. And the statistics on that back in um, 2013, I believe it was, was they said that was they said that uh, 95%, 95% of youth sexual assaults went unreported in Canada. And again, this was back in 2013. And uh, this, this is the part that really I, blows my mind. How many average Canadians uh, has this happened to, James? One in, one in 20? One in 30? It's... Like you said, it's it's much worse than that. They estimated one in three Canadians. One in three. Yeah. That is just appalling. Have been abused physically, emotionally, verbally as children. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. No. But, yeah, that that's absolutely inexcusable and despicable. And it, it kind of goes... I mean, I don't know Canada very well by any means. I just know how great hockey is and some of their superstars who grew up in Canada. But that's, yeah, inexcusable. And and I hope that they've cleaned it up. But thank you know God bless Theo Fleury for bringing that to light. And he's written two books. Uh, one, his autobiography called Playing With Fire. And another one, um, Conversations with a Rattlesnake, I believe, is the title of that one. And that is based on conversations he's had with his therapist and how he was able to overcome his demons and knock alcoholism and become a singer-songwriter now. His grandfather grew up listening to country music, and they both idolized Johnny Cash. So Theo was kind of taking that in his, into his second life. And the beautiful thing about the whole thing is that he took such something, something so despicable and turned it into a positive is that he's helping so many people out there deal with it 
And above all, and one of the most despicable things about the abuse is that every victim has the same mindset that it's his or her fault and he can't tell anybody about it because if you're a hockey player in Canada, that's all you do. And if it's your coach that's abusing you, you've just thrown your career down the tube. There was a story that a Canadian young man, I believe, told his parents about an abuse case that someone was abusing him and they disowned the, the, the man. I mean, if you could believe that. So God bless Theo Fleury for helping people deal with these horrible things. Hopefully that will take the predators out of there and, and just get normalcy back into the purity of sport and coach-player relationships, teachers, anything. If you have the responsibility of somebody else's child, your own child, that is beyond precious. And it's a line that should never, ever even be attempted to be crossed. Yeah. And I don't know, pardon me for getting a little bit too much on my soapbox now, but it's just, it's unforgivable. It's, there's just no reason, there's no justifiable reason. Like you could say, okay, if somebody was, was killed somebody, well, maybe, maybe it was self-defense or something. But to sexually abuse or touch a child, it's, there's just nothing nothing good or justifiable about that at all. There's no excuse for it, even to the point where other prisoners actually, they look down upon mm -hmm. sexual predators as well. Sure. That's, I mean, for Lord knows what they're incarcerated for, but if even they have enough sense to say that's just, there's, there's no justification for that at all. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, you know, even the most hardened criminals, if you touch a kid, you're public enemy number one. So, which, um, I mean, as a, as a, as a Catholic, I guess I'm not supposed to be in favor of vengeance or retribution, but as a human being, you know, it's, it's very hard not to look at that and take some amount of pleasure in somebody committing such despicable actions getting some kind of uh, comeuppance. So, you know, but that's my own personal moral quagmire that I have to navigate. Your mileage may vary. I, I do think that's something everybody can universally agree on, especially if you're a parent or an oh, uncle or, or whatever, an aunt or an uncle or grandparent and such. Um, it's, uh, yeah, you know, well, Whatever, but the benefit of Flurry is that he goes on tour in in Canada. He has multiple charitable events and book signings and and all that stuff. And the music deals with it directly. So he's really touching so many people, saving so many people, and healing so many people. And hopefully, now that it's out in the light, and he was brave enough to admit that and and come forward from that and show people that you can be okay, you can recover. Unfortunately, if you were ever stuck in a situation like that, R.A. Dickey, for example, the famous Mets pitcher, Cy Young Award winner, he was abused as a child as well. And he's a big, strapping, scary-looking guy. So yeah. that just goes to show you how delicate it is. And, and the scars don't heal unless you have someone to help you with it, if it's a therapist or a doctor or even if it's your own parents or whatever the case is. It's so important to know that it's not your fault, you were a victim, 
and you can heal and move on and have a nice, healthy, good life. And Flurry, unfortunately, as many other people that have dealt with that horrible, unfair, uh, despicable act, relied on alcoholism or drugs or whatever else and living an intense life and having that anger in them all the time. So God bless Theo Flurry. I uh, hope he solves this problem for everybody and gets rid of the problem forever. Yeah, well, not much hope of that. Yeah. But hopefully he can bring some awareness to it and they can start down the right path. Last minute remaining in the podcast. Okay, that's, I guess that's another podcast coming gone. 24. Oh, boy. So uh, it means we're just one week away from our big 25th episode, so you're not going to want to miss that. We've got some fun stuff planned and maybe a, a special announcement that you're not going to want to miss either. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Pops. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you to the LIQ for all of your contributions. Thank you, James, for co-hosting this podcast with me. Thank you, the listener, for listening. Obviously, if it wasn't for you, there wouldn't be a Hit the Deck podcast. Please, actually, speaking of you, the listener, I would like to ask a favor of you. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends. Tell anybody you think might be entertained by our nonsense. Please spread the word, because... We rely on you. You're the only reason we do this, and we want more people to be able to enjoy it. So uh, I'm giving you homework. I hope, I know it's summer vacation, but uh, hopefully you won't mind a little bit of spreading the good word. Uh, that's a little too biblical for your taste, probably. And really a comparison that is not in any way warranted. But, well, there it is. Uh, <laughs> what? Please, when you tell people to listen to the podcast, tell them that they can listen to it on iTunes, they can subscribe, they can listen to it on our website at hitthedeck.com, they can listen to it on Stitcher, they can check it out on YouTube. And if they want to talk to us, please hit us up at hitthedeckpod on Twitter, hitthedeck at gmail.com, at hitthedeck on Instagram and Facebook, and you know, hit us over the head if you see us in the street because we've <laughs> we put you through a lot tonight. So I apologize for that. James, is there anything else? Yes, yeah, speaking of which, I, I apologize for my inferior broadcasting technology here. So sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. I'm sure that they will like it just fine. Or have liked it, I guess, since the podcast is now over. So they will now have experienced it. Therefore... Anyway, before we go, it is incumbent upon me to remind you, as always, to remember that it's deck hockey. Don't be that guy. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week for the 25th. I'm sure that they will... That's all, folks.